1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. So today we're going to look at spirit-led serving. I'm just going to be honest with you right out of the box. I'm completely out of my element. We're not walking through a book of the Bible. We're in this series um, looking at spirit-led different things. And so um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, but there's going to, we're going to kind of be all over the place, so kind of bear with me. So what is spirit-led serving? What is it not? Um, and are we being led in our spirit-led? Are we being led in our spirit-led in our serving? Sorry. So, First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses one through eleven. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, I'd greatly appreciate it. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. It says this: Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that you you were pagans; you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the, <clears throat> to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For, it is, for to one is given... Through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, and to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Word of God for the people of God. You can be seated. And so, today we're going to look at this idea of spiritual gifting. Spiritual gifting. The, the Holy Spirit giving each believer, each born-again believer, at least one or more abilities to do the work of ministry. That's kind of what we're going to look at today. But before we do that, I think the best place for us to start this morning is to look at the person in the work of Christ. I think that needs to be where we start. And so I want us to make the connection this morning of spirit-led serving to Jesus because they are intricately woven together, okay? And so, so let's start with who Jesus is. So Jesus is the eternal God. He knew that we had sin and that sin had separated ourselves from him. So he came to earth to live amongst us. And, and when he came and lived here, in the last three years of his life, he had a public ministry. And in his public ministry, Jesus taught people, he loved people, he healed people, he fed people, he counseled people, he served people, just to name a few. And that's what he did. And, and we learn and we see in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus did his ministry by the power of God the Holy Spirit. You see it all over the book of Luke. And, and Luke continually connects the empowering of the Holy Spirit to the life and ministry of Jesus. Okay, and so this this is important. This is important because generally, when folks think and talk about spiritual gifts, and, and we look at and we look at all this the spirit led dating, spirit led parenting, spirit led uh, community groups, spirit led prayer, it, it's easy for us to to talk about spiritual gifts and the enabling and the empowering and the gifting of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. And sometimes we aren't as into Jesus as we are the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And if we are to remain biblical, according to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and onward, we are to maintain the preeminence of Jesus in all things. And so, here's what I want you to see. As Jesus did ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
so we can do ministry like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so <laughs> the Holy Spirit and Jesus are not at odds with each other, okay? Like they're not warring for our affections and they're not warring for our uh, um, allegiance, okay? They're not at odds. They are, they are intricately woven. So the, the Holy Spirit indwelt, empowered, and enabled Jesus. And likewise, the Holy Spirit, for those of us who are Christians, will indwell and empower and enable us to do ministry like Jesus. And this is how this works. In John chapter 14, verse 12, fascinating, fascinating passage. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. He says, you will do greater things than me when I go to my Father fascinating statement the God of the universe says this to his disciples what is he talking about here what is Jesus getting at I don't know about you guys but but my resume doesn't line up with Jesus's resume okay like I've never went into Captain D's and ordered some fish and and some and some fries and went to Bryant Denny and tried to multiply that over thousands of people like, that's never happened, okay? Like, I've never walked into a funeral home and told a dead person to get up and walk, okay? That just doesn't happen. Like, like I've never, I didn't come down from heaven. I'm not capable of doing those things. And from what, I, from what I know about all of you, I don't think you are either. And so, Jesus' resume is far superior to ours, okay? And so, what is he getting at here in John? What is Jesus getting at? This is what I think he's trying to say. I think he's saying that he could feed people, but millions of Christians could feed a lot of people. I'm thinking he's saying he could pray for people, but millions of Christians could pray for a lot of people. He could teach people, but millions of Christians could teach a lot of people. And this isn't saying our ministry is superior to Jesus's by any means. But what I am saying is that it is greater numerically and an impact because there's so many more people able to serve. And so, so it goes on, and, and so Jesus dies on the cross as a substitute for our sin. And three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death. And then he appeared to many people before he ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of God where he is ruling and reigning today. But... Before he ascends, another fascinating moment, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus told the apostles to wait on the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will enable them, he will enable you, and he will empower you to do the work of ministry. And so then, and then so Jesus is saying, so wait on the Holy Spirit, and then you can go out and be my witnesses across the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus ascends into heaven. And then in Acts chapter 2, we read about the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church, being poured out on God's people. And then we see all through the book of Acts, the church explodes and is birthed. And here we are today because of what happened, what the Lord did through his people. And so now today, those, who are, those of us who are Christians are baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is what it means to be a Christian. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we can be gifted by the Holy Spirit, to do the work of ministry of Jesus here on the earth. This is big. You have to, I want you to capture that. It starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. Okay, so the beauty today is that there's, since there's so many more Christians, we can spread around our city and we can spread around our globe and we can touch more people than Jesus ever could as one person here. 
And now the Holy Spirit is working through all of God's people to continue the ministry of Christ. And so when we think about Spirit-led serving, I think it would do us well to, th- to look at Jesus as our example. I think it would do us very well to do that. Because Jesus came not to be served, but what? To serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. And so as we start there with that background, let's jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So Paul wants us to be informed of spiritual gifts. In verse 1 he says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So we need to be informed about these, this gifting. There's a lot that goes into it. We need, to, we need to be sure we get this right, Paul says. And so on the screen above, you'll find a definition that I came up with. Um, actually, I did not come up with it. Well, I worded it that way, but it's out of Scripture. So you can, you can reference those scripture there, Scriptures there. But my definition of Spirit-led serving is this. Spirit-led serving is using our God-given abilities to build up the church for the glory of God and the good of others. That's what it's about. It's about using our God-given abilities to serve the church, to, to love the body and serve the body, not for our glory, but for God's glory and others' good. And so spirit-led serving at its very core is about being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's about being the church. That's what it means to be the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our world. It's about giving your life away out of gospel gratitude for Christ's work in you. We don't do it out of obligation. We do it out of gratitude for his work that he's done for us. Here's the deal. Inward transformation always plays out into external servanthood. We saw that in the book of James week after week after week. Like our, our inward transformation plays out in our rhythms and how we serve and how we love and how we give our life away for God's glory. You'll give your life away to something or for something that you truly believe in. That's how it works. And when we dwell here, when we dwell there, serving is a joy and a privilege. But sometimes it's helpful in defining something to look at what something is not to help better understand what something is. And so Paul continues on in verse 2. Paul reminds us and he warns us of our pagan purposes. He says this, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So safe haven, we have to be careful. Have to be careful. Our natural selves are prone to idols. Like our hearts are naturally bent to bite and to feed into idols. And sometimes we fall captive to self-driven serving. And so maybe you found yourself here, or maybe you're currently here. And so I don't know which one of these two uh, pastors came up with it. Maybe neither one of them came up with it. Maybe they heard it from somebody else. But I found it in both of their writings. So Tim Keller and Ray Ortland, um, they talk about these four root idols. Um, they are power, approval, control, and comfort. And so all of our sin, humanity sin, really flows from these four root idols in our life. And so I'm going to add one this morning, um, the idol of obligation. But idolatry can taint good things, okay? Even serving. And it's not just serving. Idolatry can taint our marriages, 
It, can, it, it, it skews raising children. It skews our friendships. It skews all these things. Idolatry poisons good things when we turn them into God things for our self-exaltation and our self-glory. And so, I'm just going to go through these four root idols. Um, and I, just, I want you to think. I'm just going to ask questions. And, and as I ask these questions, ask the Holy Spirit to move and to stir and to reveal sin in your heart. That's what He does. He reveals sin in our hearts. It's the grace of the Spirit. And so, maybe you've fallen captive to approval-based serving. Do you serve out of a longing to be accepted or desired? Is the only reason you serve so that you can win the heart of a certain individual or a certain group? In your serving, do you find yourself warring for the affection of people? In your serving, do you find your joy in being accepted by a certain person? And on the flip side of that, do you find yourself being destroyed when, that, when a certain individual or person doesn't give you the approval you're looking for? It's subtle, man. It's, it slips in there easily. Spirit-led serving looks like rejoicing in your serv- serving because you have God's gracious approval already. Save haven. You don't have to war for people's approval. You have God's approval on you through Christ. When God the Father looks at you, He doesn't see your wickedness. He sees the beauty of His Son. And He stamps approved. If you're an unbeliever, it's a different story. He sees your wickedness. He sees your sin. You don't have to war for approval because you have it already through Christ. Or maybe you've fallen captive to power-based serving. Do you serve out of a longing for influence or recognition? Is your purpose in serving so that you can have some sort of a platform or or some sort of a title? Do you find yourself being annoyed because so-and-so doesn't recognize all that you do? This is not just at church. This is at home. Do you find yourself getting annoyed with He doesn't notice what I do. My wife doesn't notice what I do. My husband doesn't notice what I do. If my kids only knew what I did for them. Do you find yourself saying, man, if this would completely fall apart if I wasn't involved here? Subtle. Spirit-led serving looks like submitting to God's greater power within you. And you can find some uh, proof texts for these. You can go back and look at those later. We won't have time this morning. But the Holy Spirit who draws us and who prompts us, He also breaks us and draws us to repentance. It's the grace of the Spirit. And so Spirit-led serving looks like submitting to the Holy Spirit's greater power within you. Or maybe you've fallen into control-based serving. Control-based serving looks like this. Do you, do you in your serving long to have everything go according to your plan? This is totally me. Actually, all of these are me, but this one really hit home when I was looking through this this week. Do you get flustered in your serving if a plan gets changed or altered? I mean, at K-Camp this past week, utter chaos. Utter chaos. I was like... Like, I thought I had a plan on, like, what I was doing, and 
yeah, that got demolished. And it was wreaking havoc on me because I was buying into the idol of control-based serving. Spirit-led serving looks like surrendering yourselves to God's ultimate control and sovereignty. Here's the deal. His plans are greater than our plans. His timing is greater than our timing. And when you are being spirit-led in your serving of each other, then you can rest in God's sovereignty and in His control. Because even in the chaos, He's ultimately working it all together for your good and His glory. And so, maybe you've fallen captive to comfort-based serving. Do you long for worldly pleasure in your serving? Is the only reason you serve in a certain area or a certain way is because that's what you've always done? The idol of tradition. Or do you just avoid serving altogether by laying low and being apathetic? Which is really just serving yourself. Spirit-led serving is realizing that God is the greater comfort and anything else pales into comparison. Here's the deal. Worldly, worldly comfort feels good today and it's gone tomorrow. There's a new thing. There's a new, there's a new issue. Worldly comfort doesn't last. Spirit-led comfort, spirit-led serving realizes that God is the greater comfort that lasts longer than tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. You can rest in the eternal embrace of King Jesus. Or maybe you've fallen into obligatory-based serving. I don't know if that's a word. It might be. If not, roll with me. Serving out of obligation. Do you serve based out of guilt? This is a big one. When you serve, does it feel more like a burden or a privilege? Spirit-led serving is realizing that God has first loved us, and so it is a gift and it is, in gra- and it is a grace to engage in mission for His glory alone. 1 John four nineteen. we love why? Because He first loved us. That's what it's about. And when you submit to the Spirit, and when you, and when you are found in Spirit-led serving, it's realizing that, that God came and He loved you in your wickedness, and He served you and He gave His life for you. And so therefore it is a gift and it is a grace to give all that you have and all that you are for His mission in redeeming more people for His glory. So that's what it looks like. And maybe you found yourself there. Maybe you found yourself in any of these in self-driven serving. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. If you found yourself or if you find yourself there. The Lord still uses our self-driven efforts towards His ultimate ends of redeeming people and building His church. Our mess-ups cannot thwart God's overarching plan. Just can't. So when we find ourselves in seasons of self-driven serving, though, it can feel more like slavery than it does selflessness. And so we become captive to our idols and they rob us of our joy. And instead of seeing and, and seeing or, and serving as a joy and a privilege out of gospel gratitude for what Christ has done for us, we see serving as burdensome. We see serving as work. And we see serving as labor. And there's a reason why, guys, that John in his, 
in 1 John 5.21, he wraps up his letter this way. Little children, keep yourself from idols. This is his last warning to the people. They're subtle and we're prone to them. My boy, the great reformer John Calvin puts it this way. Man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Our hearts are idol factories. The gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It cannot be grasped by reason and memory alone, but it is fully understood when, we possess, when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates to the inner recesses of the heart. So we need the gospel to penetrate our hearts and to seep in and that the gospel must shape and form our understanding of serving if we are to war against the idols of our, of our idol-prone nature. So when we truly believe that Jesus lived the life that we couldn't, died the death that we deserve, rose again, defeating sin, defeating death, and has given us His promised Holy Spirit to do the work of ministry out of His great love and grace for us, then that will affect the way we serve. It's not just good doctrine to think about. It's a grace-drenched reality to live in, to be a part of. It's, it's big. And here's the deal. I've totally fallen into this before, and... It's, it's asinine to think about. God doesn't need us, okay? Like, God's not sitting on his throne, like, on edge, like, are they going to get up and do something? Like, what am I going to do if they don't serve? Like, how, how am I going to fix this? That's not how he operates. The reality is, out of his great grace and love, he chose us, the church, to be the means that he uses to play a small part in his grand story of redemption. It's a grace that's huge. Please don't miss that. That the God of the universe chooses you and chooses me to play a part and to carry out his mission. That's big. That's a big deal. Spirit-led serving looks like giving your life away out of joy and seeing it as a privilege to serve the God who first served us. And so Paul continues on, verses 3 through 7. He says this, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so here's what Paul is saying. So there's a lot of different gifts, but it is the same Spirit who is working out those gifts. There are varieties of ways to, to serve, but it's the same Lord that is working within us. Okay? There are varieties of activities to be a part of, but it's the same God who is empowering these things within us. And so in verse 7 he says, Each of us, being born-again believers, are empowered and enabled by the Spirit for the common good. And so here Paul... Paul lays out, if you are a born-again Christian, resting in Christ's work on your behalf, then the Spirit of God who dwells within you empowers you and enables you with gifts to do for the church, for the common good. And so spiritual gifts are about being the hands and feet of Christ. That's what it's about at the very core. And as we talk about spiritual gifts... It's easy to think that some gifts might be elevated, and, uh, elevated more than others. S spiritual gifts, 
is not about a spiritual hierarchy, okay? That's not what it's about. You can, I would encourage you to finish reading uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. Paul lays that out in the rest of chapter 12. What, what does it mean that we're one body with many members that are functioning together? It's not about some spiritual hierarchy, okay? Um, it's, about, it's not really about us at all, really. It, it's about being who God has called us to be and do what he has called us to do as his church. For example, if you have the gift of mercy, I was talking with someone um, who has that gift this past week. Um, if you have the gift of mercy where you minister through visitation, through prayer, through compassion for the sick and the poor, that's no less vital and that's no less important than if you have the gift of teaching or hospitality or whatever. We've got to be careful there, safe haven. We can't elevate gifts. That's not what it's about. Spirit-led serving sees the beauty in the diversity of gifting. Here's the deal. Our God is a diverse God. He loves diversity. How do I know that? Look around the room. No one looks the same in this room. No one looks the same. We don't like the same things. We don't have the same taste. And that's a good thing. It would be pretty boring if we all looked the same and liked the same stuff. And so we can be united as one church with a diversity of gifts. That's how the Lord made it to be. If he wanted it to be another way, he would have have made it that way. But unity doesn't necessarily mean uniformity. We don't all have to look the same and function the same to be united. We need each other and essential to unity is diversity. And so as the church, by the power of the Spirit working in and through us, We use our diversity of gifts to make much of our one Lord, King Jesus. And so we don't strut around saying, oh, check out my gift or get out of my way. Let me handle this. Like, this is the area that I'm gifted at. It's not what we're called to do. Why? Why do we not do that? Because it's a gift. And gifts are what? Gifts are given to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't learn it. It was a gift from the Lord for the common good of the church, i.e. fulfilling the Great Commission. And here's the beautiful thing about the Great Commission. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And here's the beautiful part that often gets skipped over. And Jesus says, surely I will be with you always until the very end of the age. We're not doing this on our own, man. The Lord has given us the grace of His Spirit to enable us and empower us to do these things. So diversity of gifting is a beautiful thing when it comes together. We, we got to see it this past week at K-Camp. All the different people functioning in different areas of their gifting. All for the same purpose to speak and live out the life-giving gospel of Christ. So continuing on. So spirit-led serving sees the beauty and diversity. Paul says, for to one is given the benefit, oh, I'm sorry. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And all these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so... I'm not going to get into the big debate that, this, that these set of scriptures have caused 
in years past. Like there's literally books written on this set of scriptures. Have the supernatural gifts of the Spirit ceased with the present day church? Was it only for the early church? Um, so some people believe that they ceased with the early church. Uh, one theologian thinks that's John MacArthur. Um, and others say that they continue today. I'll show you my cards. I still believe they exist. But I'm no John MacArthur, so whatever. But anyway, so, but what I want you to see, lastly, is this in verse 11. This, this, is a, this is the crux, I think, for us to grasp. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And so the Lord has wired you to be specifically you. He's gifted you with, with unique abilities that, that are very specific for you. And there's no need to war and to, and, to, and to fight to be something or someone that you're not. It's okay to flourish where God has called or where God has put you, and it's okay to flourish with the gifts that He's given you. You don't have to war to be something you're not. Because that's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so on a very practical level this morning, we've talked about spiritual gifts. We've, we've kind of looked at what they are, what they're not. Um, you might be wondering, so on a very practical level, how do I discover my spiritual gifts? And so I want to offer four things this morning. Very, very practical. Here we go. So number one, find out what help the church body needs. Speak with leadership. Are there any areas in the church body where there's a specific ministry need? Reach out to them. Be proactive in that. Here, here's the deal. It's easy to come here on Sunday mornings and buy into the lie of the well-oiled machine. Like you show up, you sit down, you, you, you do your thing, and then you leave. Like all, like all this stuff just happened. It, don't buy into that. Like there's always a place for you to get plugged in and always a place for you to serve. Don't buy into the well-oiled machine lie. And so... Once you find out areas um, of needs, pray about it. And I'm not just saying flippantly pray about it. I'm talking about what Troy preached on two, two weeks ago or last week. I can't remember. Spirit-led prayer. Seek the Lord in your prayer and ask Him to reveal to you and to prompt you and to propel you to engage where there's a need. There's tons of needs. There's needs that we don't even know about. Ask the Spirit to prompt you and propel you in those things. Number three, ask yourself, what do I enjoy doing? This is really simple. What fuels you? What gets you excited? Each and every one of you have something within you that gets you excited, that propels you. Hobbies, gifts, abilities. Like doing the Lord's work, doing the Lord's will doesn't have to be miserable. Like I grew up with the idea like if I'm going to be in the Lord's will, I have to just sit there and do nothing and, and be miserable about it. Like, that's not, that's not how it works, man. The Spirit has gifted us and growing us in grace, and we can enjoy serving the Lord and His church by the gifts and passions that He's given us. The Lord works through our natural abilities when what we do well collides with gospel intent. On a very practical example, we got to see this last week at K-Camp. Like, Nielsen and Billy Duncan out here with this awesome zip line. If, by the way, if you haven't hit that up, you should totally go do that. It's really fun. There might be a weight limit. I don't know. So you might want to look into that first. But anyways, it looked awesome. And so 
anyways, they've, the Lord has gifted them with being handy with their hands and being able to fix things and build things. So what they do well, colliding with gospel intent for children to come and enjoy that so they can come and hear the gospel. Our worship leaders, like they don't just play music here on Sunday mornings. Like they love music. It's a passion for them. They do it at home. They, they, do, they play gigs. They do this. They do that. But then they come here and they take their passions and their natural abilities, collides with gospel intent, leads us in worship. Think of the people who serve through the gift of hospitality, who are easy to talk to, who just love to give hugs, man. Huge deal on Sundays. What they do well, their natural abilities, colliding with gospel intent. All of you incredible people who serve in kids. Connecting with kids. That's a special talent and ability to do that. What you do well collides with gospel intent. Dan Johnson is a money and a financial numbers wizard. Like, that dude is a guru. What he does well collides with a gospel intent when he serves the church through the gift of finance. And I could go on and on and on and on. So it doesn't have to be miserable, man. What do you do well? What stirs your affections? Do it well and collide it with gospel intent. So there's a ton of areas for you to fly your passions and your giftings at Safe Haven. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to seek godly counsel from your elders, your mentors, your community group leaders, and your community group family. And actually listen to them. So ask mature believers who you spend time with or who you're around, and this is big, who will be honest with you. Don't go ask somebody about your giftings and, and, your, and what you're good at, somebody who's going to fluff your ego, okay? Like, you need somebody who's going to be brutally honest with you, and there are people out there that will be brutally honest with you if they truly love you. And so, this is big, man. They will help you discern by confirming or denying if you have certain gifts in certain areas. And here's the deal. You need to listen to them, even if it hurts. Let me just give you a real practical example. I have a passion to sing. I love singing, man. I sing in the shower. I crank it up on my iPhone and I, I sing it out. I'll sing in my car, you know. But if I were to talk to my community group family here or my wife um, and ask her, you know, like, I feel like I'm being prompted to serve on Sunday mornings um, in the worship band. I think I'm gifted in that area. She, she's going to look at me and say, I love you and I'm for you, but I don't think that's how the Lord has wired you to serve. <laughs> and I should probably listen to them and not get up here on Sunday morning and try to sing into this microphone and distract you from worshiping the Lord because I can't keep the key or the tone of the music. And so we got to listen. It's for our good. It's for others' good too. And so... So to wrap it up this morning, where are you at? Where are you at this morning? Are you seeking the Lord in your serving? If you are serving, let me start out by just saying thank you. Thank you for serving the church. Thank you for pouring out your life for the gospel. Thank you for giving your time and your energy and your efforts away. So that one more person might come to know Christ. But also, don't stop there. I would encourage you as we continue in worship to thank the Lord that He is using you. And he is working through you.
Remember, He doesn't need us. But in His grace, He chooses to use us. And check this, not only does He choose to use us, but He delights in using us. He not only loves you, but He likes you. If you're a believer, let that sink in. And so, if you find yourself falling captive to self-driven serving, first off, thank the Lord that He still uses you. Thank the Lord that He still uses you in your flawed being, flawed inner idolatry. But I wouldn't stop there. I would encourage you to repent. Repent of that sin. Ask the Spirit to move your self-driven idolatry aside so that you can consistently serve where He would have you serve. And so that ministry wouldn't feel like a burden, but rather a blessing. Ministry is never intended to feel like a burden. And if it is, I would encourage you to examine your heart and see where you are. Jesus didn't say, come to me to be burdened. He said, come to me to find rest. And so, Ben, you can come on back up. But I would encourage you guys to get on board. Be all in for the common good of the church. Let us use our gifts. And here's the deal. You don't have to wait until you find your gifting to start serving. You don't have to do that. As you are serving, if you're a believer, first off, you are called and you are commissioned to serve. You are commissioned to do that. And so, as you're serving, you might even discover that you really enjoy it. And, and as you do that, leaders may confirm what they see and, and you will discover one of the areas where the Spirit has empowered you and He's equipping you and He's enabling you to build up the body in love. And boom, guess what? You've discovered one of your gifts while serving the church. And so let's not sit idly by. Let's not sit idly by. Let's do something. And by God's grace, let's wage war against the idea and the idol of church consumerism where we show up and we say, what does church have for me? But let us show up and embrace spirit-led servanthood, looking at Jesus as our example and saying, how can I pour out my life for what that guy has done for me? So lastly, I want to wrap it up by reading 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. It'll be on the screen. <clears throat> says this. I can't think of a better better passage on servanthood. It says, Safe Haven, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, check this, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's be good stewards of God's varied grace on us. And so, as we begin worship, I can't think of a more appropriate thing than to come to the table. Where, like we said, it begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus, right? And so the table reminds us of the greatest act of servanthood humanity has ever seen. 
where Jesus stepped into our brokenness, lived the life we couldn't, died the death that we deserved, rose again, defeating sin, defeating death on our behalf. And through the table, through the bread, and through the cup, we're reminded of his body that was broken for us and we're reminded of his blood that was poured out for us. And we take it, we taste, and we see, and we remember that the Lord is good. And if we are to be spirit-led servants, it would do us well to look at what he's done for us. Let's pray. King Jesus, I just thank you for... Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us despite us. Thank you for pouring out your life for us. Thank you for redeeming us. And thank you for giving us the gift of your spirit to lead, to guide, and convict us. Lord, we pray today that you would reveal our idols. Reveal to us our idols of approval, our idols of comfort, our idols of power, our idols of control. And remind us that we have approval through you. You are ultimately powerful. You are ultimately in control. And we can rest in your embrace. Lord, I pray that there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that that your spirit would crush them. That you would cause them to, 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 to pour out their life for you. To repent of their sin. To repent of their idolatry. To rest in your finished work on their behalf. Lord, thank you for loving us despite us. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.